So hello again. All right. Well, good morning again. If you're here for the first time to Highlands or first few times, God bless you. If you're listening to the sermon through the web page, the media page, we're so thankful that you're doing that and connecting with what God is doing here at Highlands. Today, I had free reign. Graham said, I want you to preach. And, and then uh, he said, uh, I asked, uh, are you in a series? He said, no. He said, just do what you want. And my ears went really forward. <laughs> really? You know. And I thought and thought. And the temptation is always for a preacher to you know, bring out a, a sermon that went well you know, before. And I just didn't have that, that freedom from the Lord. <clears throat> and what I wanted to do is is really speak from a place of, of where I'm at. And, you know, I think I always want to speak in an authentic way, you know, but I always go back to the same place whenever I have that kind of freedom uh, to speak on a given text. I always go back to the Psalms. I always go there. And I think it's because I, I really want to know how to pray. You know, you expect pastors to pray, right? That's why we call pastors. Pastor, come. Pray. This has happened. Pray. And we pray. But can I just give you a little secret? We are not always the best at prayer. That really let you down. I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you talking about? I was in a preaching class at Fuller Seminary where I, where I did my... Uh, you know, my, some of the work, the master's program. And I had a preaching class, and, and the, the prof was a, a preacher in L.A., second or third Baptist. So he's a wonderful, wonderful teacher, African-American teacher. I just loved him. He had so many wise things to say. One of the wise things he told, he goes, you better get used to the fact that when you preach, you're going to be preaching to people who pray more than you, who are more spiritual than you are, some who know more scripture than you, who've suffered more than you. And he was right. And that's why we need community, amen? What you don't need is an expert, what you need is a community. And what we all need is the Word of God. Today, I want to talk about, Lord, are you there? Are you there? I have a Chinese student in my home, foreign exchange student. I have four kids. Yes, we are crazy. She's going to be here the whole year. We're the welcome family, six to eight weeks. And it's an amazing thing because I want to learn how to cook Chinese food and she's really curious about American food. She goes, I really don't understand what American food is. I said, neither do neither does Americans. <laughs> we have no idea. We have a lot of stuff out there. One of the cool things is she was not really raised in any kind of faith. Never read the Bible, never been to church service. In fact, the first church service she ever saw was on YouTube that I showed her. Singing a, a, a church in... Singapore singing Chinese worship songs. And in a matter of 30 seconds, she was singing along with them. Never sang before. Friday night, she offered the word of prayer at our table for dinner. Beautiful prayer. 
We thank you for this food. Thank you for what we have. Amen. <laughs> and I felt like someone was pouring water into my dry spirit. I've had this conversation. I'm, I'm completely off the topic. Can, you, can I just be with, real with you? I've been talking to her a little bit about Jesus. You know, I'm trying to gauge, you know, don't go really low. Don't miss the opportunity, but don't overkill, you know, too much Jesus, too much Bible, you know, like drowning. In, what's, what's wrong with that? But I don't want to overdo it. And I was t- telling her, you know, if you take Jesus out of Christianity, there's no more Christianity. And if you take the resurrection out of Jesus... And he's just a regular old person. She was listening. And then she said this. I'm not really interested at that right now. (laughs) I said, what do you mean you're not interested in that? She goes, maybe later, but right now I don't really know what to think about that, she meant. You don't have to know what you think about that. We'll keep talking. How does that relate to what we're talking about? I think for her, she doesn't know what to think about God. And for a lot of Christians, we find ourselves in the same place. Many times, my friends, we are without a handle of how to approach God. And today I want to give you a gift that's been given to generations. And it's been mar- it was marvelous that you prayed Psalm 121, brother. Because they are my teacher in prayer. In school, were you ever tempted to pull the fire alarm? Or to break that... How many of you went to a school where they like... You know, they broke the fire alarm deal? Or how many of you have ever tempted just to break that glass, man? And take out that nice... Oh, that's, that's too fast. Yeah, that's, that's what I want to break. I'll go back to that. Nicely folded fire hose. I just wanted to rip that thing out of the wall. Look like a fireman for five minutes of glory, you know? There's something wonderful about that. In case of fire, in case of emergency, break glass. And, and you already saw it. But I, what I want in my office is this. This is what I want. Okay, uh, not too much interested in a fire hose lately. I want a Starbucks emergency thing right there. I'll break that glass probably every day. But there was this wonderful hammer. Do you remember those old school hammers that were there? I think Psalm 130 is this hammer. In case of emergency, in case that you are overwhelmed, use this. So I turn you to the Scriptures, to Psalm 130. And it goes like this. Out of the depths, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. That's a word we don't say often, supplication. 
kind of a fancy church word these days. And in the NIV it says this, Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Because embedded in that word, supplication, is the idea that you are crying out, not just to cry out or not just to be heard, but you are crying out specifically for help. Much like the, an infant, <laughs> a newborn cries. My wife, for every single one of our children, tried to show me how to get up in the middle of the night to feed our children. She would hear the faintest sound through walls. How many mothers, is that how mothers are built? They're like, like bionic ears, you know. Oh, I hear, my child's away. I'm like, huh? I don't hear anything. And even if I did, I really don't want to hear that right now. Can you get up and feed the, you know? Oh, no, I rebuke that. I, I, uh, I don't agree with that in my spirit right now. Oh, she'd, she'd get up every two hours. And she was a zombie and I was refreshed in the morning, you know, walking around. She would just look at me. Something beautiful about the cry of an infant. Who taught that infant to cry? You don't have to be taught to cry. And that's why I think fundamentally, we don't need to be taught to pray. That is to say, to begin. We just need to be taught how to persevere in prayer. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. I cry to you, Lord. Isn't prayer, the act of prayer, the act of realigning ourselves to who we truly are, we align ourselves to the maker, the creator, the redeemer, the one who can truly do something about our condition. But if you're like me, I cry to everyone else but God. I complain to my wife. I complain to my children. I complain to church leaders. Say, well, you're a complainer, pastor. Yeah, I complain. Uh, if, if it's not very vocal, it's nonverbal complaining. You know what nonverbal complaining looks like? I cry to you. I just got my knife sharpened in the mall. I know. It's weird to, to point out at the moment. Very strange. Can I just tell you, I'm a kitchen fanatic. I love my knives. I love them. Paid a lot of money for them. And they're not, I, I tried to sharpen them and they just didn't sharpen. I took them to the mall. There's some knife nerds in that mall. You know what I mean? Some serious knife nerds. They love knives. I took them there. I paid for each knife to be sharpened. I got them back and I was just looking at them. And I smiled. Can't wait to use this, you know? Because it was just a beautiful edge. This is what prayer is. This, this is what aligning is. It's to make you sharp, focused. Stop complaining to everyone else. You know, it's, it dismisses God's sovereignty when we complain to everyone but God. 
And, and I love the God of the Scriptures. Because that's exactly what He wants. He doesn't just want your praises. He wants your complaints. Because when you can complain to God, the Hebrews were very wonderful at this. They, te- they teach us in that if you can complain to God, God is truly God. And you become more human as you complain and bring your complaints before the Lord. And out of the depths, very quickly. What does that word mean? Well, literally, the depths, darkness, the deep sea. This word would be used for plunging into water. And you go so far down that you stop seeing the light shimmering through the water. And you're surrounded, you're encompassed by darkness. The first words of the prayer. Much like the prayers of my Chinese daughter. Very simple, but profound. We usually think we have to achieve mountaintop experiences for God to hear us because we feel good about ourselves and we've conquered something and we lift our hands on the mountaintop. And that's true, God does hear you on the mountaintop. But have you ever noticed that very few things grow on the mountaintop? That most of the growth, if not all of it, is in the valley. The beauty of all the flowers and vegetation, the colors, happen in the valley. Not on the mountaintop. The, the Jews did not like water for that reason because it represented darkness and death. It represented the place of the dead. And so they, did, they weren't interested in going into deep seas for weeks on end. They liked land. They liked light. But it was from the depths that this one prays. You know, God does His best work in the depths in the darkness. What God did way back when in the first days of creation still shine true today. That in the darkness and in the void and in the chaos, God speaks, brings light and order and triumphs in beauty. Do not dismiss. Don't miss the opportunity. If that's where you are today, Don't overlook the fact that God does His best work in times like these. How many can say amen to that? Let's look at the next. If you, O Lord, I love the transition from out of the depths. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, literally, if you should record all the wrong stuff, Lord, who could stand? If you should keep a record of all the wrong things that we ever do, who could stand before you? But there's forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. 
I think this prayer master is teaching us something that we've been taught but don't truly believe. That God does not keep a record of your wrongdoing. And this is before the cross. It is the nature of God when He looks at you, when God looks at you, not to remember everything wrong you've ever done, but to look at you for who you really are. God is not like us. Because when I look at someone that wronged me, that's usually the first thing I think about when I see them. Or I got a list. And I got my guard up. Oh yeah, so and so here, okay. Yeah, I remember what you did two years ago. Here we go. How you doing? Yeah, you're not going to get me again. I'm a duck. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? And this is the opposite is true. That if God does not record all of your wrong stuff and keep them in a file and brings them out every time your name is brought up or your face can be seen, if God does not do that, then you can stand. You can stand. Because there's forgiveness found in God. God is forgiving. We think, some people think, that you read the Old Testament, that God was somehow bloodthirsty and then becomes, you know, somewhat tamed and, and merciful in the life of Jesus. But that is contrary to the Scriptures. It is the same God who's merciful and forgiving throughout. And how much more, how much more mercy is found in Christ? Even a thousand years before Jesus walked this earth, this prayer master says, there's forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. And that's counterintuitive. That, that's usually not how we would think of being, uh, you know, gaining reverence. Usually I would think that if you are in the presence of a king, in the presence of a great person, the presence of power, you naturally have a reverent spirit. If the president or all the presidents who are still alive walked in this room right now, my guess is you'd have some kind of reverence, hopefully. Especially if you like that president. But even the office that they represent, though you may not agree with everything that president says or does, you respect the office. But here, it's not the power that brings reverence. It's the mercy. It's the forgiveness. I think God is the the greatest gambler. Over and over again, He forgives. God is more forgiving than you and I and everyone put together in this room. That's why you can stand. That's why you can pray. That's why you can call out of the depths. I like this image of the the wastebasket. What does God do with all the stuff that you've ever done? He doesn't keep it. 
Can you imagine how much stuff there is to keep? That's not to say he overlooks it. That's not to say he just dismisses, oh, that wasn't that bad. I've seen worse. fact of the matter is, he doesn't keep a record, but he took it upon himself to clear the record. Let's look at the next one. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. Whenever you see that word soul, I want you to think of your whole living self. When Adam was formed and the Lord breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he became a soul. That is to say, a living person. That's the same word, my soul, my whole self, everything in me. And in his word, I hope. It's in his word, I hope. Not my word, not the word of the king, not the word of my teacher, not the word of my spouse. It's in the word from the one who hears my voice, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. Why is that repeated? Because that's how serious and how deep that waiting is. I'm convinced more and more that... Huh, Unless you learn how to wait before the Lord, you will not grow. And you will not learn. Because everything we want is now. Right? How much instant food do you have in your cupboard? Because when you want to eat, you want to eat now. Uh, excuse me, waiter, I've been here 10 minutes. How long is it going to take to receive? It's on the way. Okay, I'm counting. And your tip is going to really be affected by what they're doing. You better bring that over here. You know, my coffee gets a little low. There goes 50 cents off your tip. Mm-hmm. We, we don't want to wait. We don't like to wait because we feel at the very core that we are entitled to now. And we wonder where our children get that from. <laughs> All right, I'll speak for myself. More, more than those who watch for the morning. Who are the people that watch for the morning? Who are people that watch for morning? Probably people that can't sleep. Or people that are charged to watch for the morning. A city that has guards, citadels, and towers. You watch, don't fall asleep. And when daybreak comes, you can relax. Because then we'll be able to see if we're going to be under attack. And I think it, it doesn't name exactly who is watching for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning, it's people that are in charge of watching, which would be a very important task, but also those who can't sleep. This is actually a, a picture of the Sea of Galilee. At dawn, uh, Jesus would get up and pray every day while it was still dark. And the colors and the hues of the morning, of the rising sun, would shine on him. Many of you are waiting for dawn. You're waiting. Say, Pastor, 
I don't know what you're talking about waiting. That's all I've been doing. Waiting to get married, waiting for a job, waiting to get married, waiting for uh, my next promotion, waiting for the marriage, waiting for... Right? Waiting for my spouse that I did marry to change. I've been praying for years. The Lord is not listening. If God would simply change, life would be wonderful. (laughs) But neither God nor my spouse seem to be listening. What do you do then? Let me know what, what that sermon's all about. It's so much easier to pray for other people in that regard. Waiting is not idleness. Waiting is certainly not just expecting other people or circumstances to change. Waiting is refreshing yourself and who God is and observing how God is already acting on your behalf. Much like the aroma that fills a house when the roast is in the oven. You are not at liberty to pull that roast out early. It won't taste right. Nor should you eat it right after it comes out of the oven. You'll burn yourself. In the act of waiting, the hunger builds and the moment comes. Your moment will come. Can I say that your spouse will change? Or that you're going to get married in the next several weeks? No. Do not rush into marriage. Praise the Lord. That's another sermon. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Wait on the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. Let me just end with this last part. Oh, Israel, that is the people of God. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there's steadfast love. That's a beautiful word. Hesed. H-E-S-E-D. It's so powerful that every time we try to capture it in English, we always need two words. Steadfast love. Not just love that's here right now and gone tomorrow. It's a steadfast, unfailing, untiring love. A love that sticks to you. That's what God's love is all about. That even when you're weak, even when you're rejecting, missing overlooking, clouded. God's love is there. And with Him is great power to redeem. Put your hope in the One who truly has power. Say, yes, I understand God has power. I understand that God loves me, but I don't know if if God's listening. Hence the whole purpose of Psalm 130. It is He who will redeem Israel, the whole people of God, from all its iniquities, from all their sins, from all their wrongdoing. That word redeem is a beautiful word. It means to buy back, but in the life of Israel, you remember the story of Ruth? And certain people in a destitute state, they would have to sell themselves into service in order to pay back debt or to gain some type of of ground in their lives. And usually... They would remain in that debt. They wouldn't, it would be overwhelming. 
And it took someone with compassion, usually someone related or someone that just was not related but had compassion, who would buy them back, who would literally pay off their debt and give them sure footing. And that's what Boaz did for Ruth. And that's what God does with us. Why is this person praying this prayer? Are they overwhelmed by the guilt of their sin? Are they overwhelmed by life in general? We don't know. Fill in the blank. But I do know this. I do know this. That if this prayer doesn't fit you today, it will one day. You'll need it. And just like that hammer, it's going to be there waiting for you in case of an emergency. Let's pray. Lord, hear our voices as we pray. Church, why don't we offer that prayer to the Lord, even right now. It's an image or a thought or a word or a phrase that describes your situation, what you truly are waiting for, offer it to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayers. We're tired. You're the one that brings light out of darkness. You're the one that redeems us and moves us from not only thinking about ourselves, but also about all of your people. grateful that you don't keep a record of our wrong and that we can stand before you and as we stand and as we wait Lord renew the strength of your people renew us in Jesus name we pray amen